Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses that should brighten your day low actually a lot so sign up now at chumbacasino.com that's chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus hello it is ryan and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day couldn't we just to make up for things like sitting in traffic doing the dishes counting your steps you know all the mundane stuff that is why i'm such a big fan of chumba casino chumba casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime anywhere with daily bonuses that should brighten your day low actually a lot so sign up now at chumbacasino.com that's chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus hello welcome to the snooker scene podcast i'm dave hendon For the next few weeks, I'm going to be reposting some of the interviews I've done with snooker players over the years, adding some context to their careers and giving my impressions of them as both people and players. It'll be interesting, I think, to hear some of them with the knowledge of what came next in their careers. Some good, some maybe not so good. Now, some may see these as as merely repeats dressed up as new content, to which I say, well, I'm technically on holiday, so it's this or nothing. Uh, Genuinely, though, I do think it'll be interesting to go back and hear firsthand from some of the biggest names in the sport talking honestly about themselves and their careers. The first episode of what I'm calling From the Archives will be an interview with Mark Williams, which we'll get to in due course. Now, and of course, Mark has just won the British Open, his 24th ranking title. What a great week that was recently in Leicester, full of drama, close finishes, some controversy, and bottom line, just really good snooker. And it was quite funny, I thought, that some of the most vocal critics of the best of five former ended up thriving in the event. Elliot Slesser reached the semi-finals. Gary Wilson was a finalist. They'd both been critical beforehand, but they both came away considerably richer. Maybe there's a lesson there somewhere. Early on in the week, Alan McManus wrote a coruscating piece on his blog, lambasting the moaners. It was terrific stuff from Alan. And he made the point that so many players seem to think they will thrive in the longer-frame tournaments. To which the obvious question is, so why don't they then? The fact is, in the last year, we've had the following formats. Best of one, best of three, best of five, best of seven, best of nine, best of 11, best of 19. In all of them, invariably the same people win. Why? Because they are the best players. Simple as that. Personally, I think it's great to have such variety. The British Open delivered really good viewing figures for ITV4. I enjoyed the week thoroughly, and I hope the event is back on next year. Sadly, the Turkish Masters, of course, has been postponed from its September slot. So there isn't another tournament until the Northern Ireland Open in October. The qualifiers were last week, dragged out, it must be said, over five days, but they didn't exactly get the juices flowing, not least because in Europe they can only be watched on betting sites. Will Snooker Tour make money from streaming? So it seems to me that in the absence of tournaments, they could make more of a production of the qualifiers, commentary, interviews, draw graphics and so on. Otherwise it just feels like wallpaper with no context. Take a look at what Matchroom do with the Championship League. That, uh, to me anyway, should be the model. 
Anyway, to business. We've had a lot of new listeners over the lockdown period, and they won't all have delved back and listened to previous episodes. The interview you're about to hear with Mark Williams was conducted initially in January 2016. Now, that in itself is interesting because this was about 18 months before the beginning of his renaissance, which saw him become world champion for a third time in 2018. But, of course, he was already an all-time great by this point, a hallowed member of the class of 92, alongside his celebrated contemporaries Ronnie O'Sullivan and John Higgins. Firstly, a word about this interview. As you'll hear at the start, Mark isn't particularly big on doing interviews. He prefers to express himself directly through playing or, of course, on social media. But he agreed to do it. No problem, he said. You just have to do something for me first. He said, you have to eat a piece of my chocolate. Well, I thought, (laughs) if that's all I have to do, then I'm on easy street. But, of course, Mark being Mark, it wasn't that straightforward. The chocolate was, in fact, laced with chilli powder. His wife, Joanne, had bought it in for Christmas. I ate it, my mouth burned like fire, and when he stopped laughing, we got on with the interview. It was interesting to get him in such a relaxed mood, because what you're about to hear is very much Mark being himself. I started working on the professional snooker tour in the mid to late 1990s, just after Mark had emerged as a top player. And what I really admire about him is that he's utterly his own man. You'll hear in the interview how he was toughened up at a young age playing snooker against adults who didn't treat him with kid gloves. It created, I think, a hard shell around him, which nobody can ever penetrate. He's genuinely laid back, but that's also part of his shtick. It's part of his character. You can't rattle him, and you can't get under his skin. He doesn't attempt a false level of sophistication, and he hasn't forgotten where he's from. Quite rightly, he's proud of it. One of the first times I met him, he made me laugh in an unexpected way. There used to be an American talk show host called Jenny Jones. And one afternoon, Mark downed a glass of Coke in the press room and belched her name with some force. I don't know why... I also don't really know why I found it so funny, then and now, but it told me all I needed to know about Mark Williams, that he's unpretentious, a working-class boy, made good, who is determined to just enjoy life. I remember a journalist interviewing him once and asking what motivated him. Mark said, the money. And this is the sort of thing that gets frowned upon when people just come out and admit something like that. But it makes perfect sense. He grew up in a poor area. His father was a miner at the time that that industry was heading into decline. So of course he wants money. He wants a life that didn't look possible, that the structures of our society deemed was out of his reach. Towards the end of the 1990s, Mark became a regular winner and always seemed to be there at the last weekend of most events. For a while, he went ahead of both Sullivan and Higgins and became the best player in the game. Now, the Triple Crown has, of course, become ubiquitous in recent years, but 20 years ago, it wasn't really a thing. Ironic, really, as Williams completed it in the same season, winning the UK Championship, Masters and World Championship during the 2002-03 campaign. Nowadays, that would be celebrated much more. But it was still a fine achievement then, and of course he extended it by winning the LG Cup at the start of the following season to complete what we called, in the press room, the BBC Grand Slam. That wasn't really a thing until he did it, but then again, the Triple Crown wasn't really a thing either. It did underline, though, just what a top player had become, and he, at the time, was the dominant player in the game, without any question. At one point, Mark won his first match in 48 successive ranking events. We members of the media were going to get him a cake to celebrate getting to 50 matches. But yes, it's that man, Fergal O'Brien, ruined things by beating him in the first round of the UK Championship. And after that, Williams declined a little. Possibly some of the hunger had gone. He had management issues as well. Since the interview, though, he has, of course, roared back to the top of the game. And good on him. I promise you, of all the players I've met, he's one of the friendliest, despite any persona he puts across, which may give you the opposite impression. Most players, indeed most people like to present their best features to the world. Conversely, Mark, I think, likes to give the impression that he's a bit aloof, but this is not in any way true. 
When we were both much younger, he'd spend a lot of time in the press room chatting with journalists he regarded as friends and who he trusted. That's how it should be, but it isn't always how it is. To me, more than any other player I've encountered in a quarter of a century just about on the snooker tour, Mark Mark Williams is a genuine people's champion. What you see with him is what you get. He's just himself, a rather cheeky lad from the valleys who turned out to be really good at snooker. Really good at snooker. And this is him talking about his career in his own words, typically unfiltered, unaffected and not bothered one way or the other, whether anyone likes it or not. Long may he continue to excite us on and off the snooker table. He really is a one-off. Hello, welcome to the Snooker Scene podcast. I'm Dave Hendon. My guest this week is Mark Williams, twice world champion, winner of many tournaments and most importantly, of course, Twitter legend. Mark, I know you're not a great fan of interviews, so thanks for doing this. Um, Anything for you, Dave. Well, thank you. I always start asking people how they got into snooker, so what was your introduction? Oh, God. Um, I I first remember it, I think it was my father playing in a a tournament in 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 the Institute. It was just like a Christmas thing they had, and it was for all the miners that they used to get together, and I just used to watch that, and uh, just got into it. It was on the TV then. I think it was Pop Black or something I was on, and... Uh, I just I don't know why, but I just lo- loved watching it. And then I think my mother and father bought me a six foot table, which uh, from then on that, that was it. I was just playing it as much as I can, really. Mm. But you also did a bit of boxing, didn't you, when you were a kid? Yeah, I was doing I was doing boxing probably uh, at the same time as snooker, probably uh, even a bit more. Um, you know, I, I had about I think I had sixteen fights actually. Mm. Um, I was only a junior little one and. And uh, I, I won them all, didn't lose one. Uh, but I always remember the the last fight they had was my opponent never turned up, and there was another fella's opponent didn't turn up, and they come and asked me, and we decided to get in with each other, and just like a like an exhibition kind of thing. And he was probably about a stone and a half, two stone heavier than me, but yeah. it was only a little exhibition thing. And uh, my God, every time he jabbed me, punched me, it was like someone hit, hit me with a brick, and. Uh, and I woke up with uh, two black eyes, I think it was, cut severe, and I thought, Phew, I don't know if this is for me, yeah. and that's the last time I was I was in a the ring then, thank God. But you were in an area in Wales where obviously the, the junior snooker scene was quite thriving, wasn't it? So you had a lot of competition. How, how quickly did you improve? Um, I, th- I improved quite quick, because I, I played in a in a, the Emporium Club in Bargood, where there was, quite the time, there was probably 10 to 12 people practising here, and everyone was a 147 breaker. Mm. And, you know, I used to get absolutely bashed up by everybody especially uh, you know Ian Sargent used to give me some bashings Paul Dawkins Richard Hodges all them kind of people and he was just bashing me up day in day out but I kept going back every day and used to wind me up like you wouldn't believe I mean you probably couldn't wind anyone up like they used to back then he'd be classed as bullying now but uh, <laughs> well you do your best in fairness but you know well yeah that, that's how I brought that I mean you know if you've done stuff like that now people would go off crying and say you know are you picking on me or something but you know it, it toughened me up and yeah. I know eventually you know I started taking frames getting closer getting closer and eventually the time I was probably 14, 15 I was I was beating them all mm. and it was funny because when I used to beat them all they, they didn't want to play me then it was only to be fake uh Sarge that kept playing me, kept playing me, and he was the he was the hardest one to beat. And once I did beat him a few times, I used to bash him up all the time. Then, but he was the only one that kept coming back, mm. wanted to play me. But you know, once you're playing around players like that, it was one four seven break. As I mean, you're about to get on. We used, we used to play in the Romney Valley League, one frame singles, 
we had seven players on our side, five play, and seven of us were one four seven breakers. Mm. And you know, we was winning the league, you know, with ease all the time. But you know, it, it was playing with people like that it definitely helped me improve a lot quicker than I would have. So you turned pro when you were seventeen. What was that like? Did you did you feel you were ready? Because obviously in, that, in those days it was open. You just sort of um, paid your money, didn't you? And well, well, it, it was funny because I was winning the junior tournaments in in the Welsh and I was winning all the under sixteens and stuff. And and I was seventeen. And at the, at the time they made the Welsh junior tournaments sixteen and under, and the Welsh seniors tournaments eighteen and over. Hmm. So I couldn't play anything. <laughs> yeah. yeah, nice, isn't it? <laughs> nice of them. And. Uh, I couldn't play anything, I couldn't play in under 16s and obviously over 18s. I, I didn't really have much chance, choice but the turn pro. I mean, if I could have played in one of them, I don't know whether or not I would have done or not. But, you know, my manager at the time, Clyde Kofard, who really took me under his wing since I was 12, decided to turn me pro then. And uh, obviously it was a good move, mm. but I didn't really have much much choice. What was, it like at, what was it like at the Norbrecht? Because you spent a lot of time there, didn't you? Well, it was, um, I mean, probably the first year was... I suppose it was brilliant, really. As a young boy, I was travelling up there for three months, staying me and my mate Sarge. We used to, and the bloke Les Griffiths used to drive us around. We had a, a one bedroom flat. Les used to sleep on a sofa, and I used to sleep in a double bed with Sarge. That's how he was for three months. And the first year was probably brilliant. I'm young, I'm going up there and yeah. playing players, months, playing every day, 10 matches in a tournament, really, just to get through to the last 32. And it was good, but after. You know, 12 months of that or a couple of years to start to get in a, you know, a nightmare. You know, every time someone mentions Blackpool now, I just <laughs> go shiver at the knees. <laughs> so do you remember the first time you played on TV? What was what was that match? Can you remember? Um, no, I can't. I can't really. The only really match from back then I can really remember is playing in the last 16, I think it was the Belgium Open, playing Darren Morgan. Mm. And... Uh, it was four all. I think it was only eighteen. I think something like that. It was four all, and I think I had a sixty break in the last. And uh, I was fifty odd up in the decider, or sixty odd up in the decider. And he's done it anyway. Great dish. Potted it black. I'm storming all over this silly walk. <laughs> Grabbed my hand. I thought he would try to take it off. And said, <laughs> and said to me, "You've made my Christmas now," yeah. and walked off. And. That's always stuck in my mind, and I've always, always said I'll, I'll get him back for that. And let's just say you've beat me since. <laughs> but what was it like playing at the venues? Because obviously the Norbrek, you know, you're a professional, but you're not part of the actual tournaments. They're just qualifiers. Mm. Did you feel comfortable once you started getting to the venues? Not really. It, it took a while because once you're playing up in Blackpool for like three months, you're playing ten games in one tournament, then you go to the next tournament, and you go right the way through, and then you go back to the first tournament if you qualified, then the seeds come in. And I was beating the seeds in Blackpool. When I was getting to the venue, it was totally different. You know, the lighting was different. There was a lot of crowd there. There was no crowd in Blackpool unless you went for all it was decided with all the other players you used yeah. to vulture in then and, <laughs> and watch and see who get beat. But as I got the venue, there was a lot of people there. The lights are totally different. And it did take me a while to adjust to all that. Mm. Uh, it was totally different uh, playing in Blackpool. You were sort of on people's radar as a, as a rising star, but until you win a tournament, no one's quite sure, you know, whether you are the real deal, real deal or not. You did win your home event, didn't you? The Welsh Open '96. That was your first ranking event. What, what are your memories of that? Uh, my memories was, uh, you know, obviously, I remember a couple of victories going through. Was uh, beating John Part in the final as my first mm. final, and uh, I think I won nine three. So it wasn't mm. really too much pressure on me in the semis. I think I won 
six one. The only reason I know this is because I got where I practice. I've got the, the actual tournament right. with all, everyone who played in it mm. in a frame by my soccer table in the club. So uh, I won it quite easy the final, which was brilliant for my first one. And, you know, and I'm not sure if I beat Willie Thorne along the way. And, okay. Yeah, he always said, you know, you'll never win another tournament, and I'll be the only one he wins. And I think because your, you your highest break was it was something like seventy six, and, and and but of course it's not just about that, is it? It's about winning the close frames. It's about actually being able to do it under pressure and all the rest of it. Yeah, yeah they, they say my my highest break was only seventy odd, which it was. I mean, you know, I probably, all joke aside, I probably played safe on seventy and eighty. <laughs> more times than people have had centuries. Mm. I mean, I, you know, if, if I carried on and wanted to make centuries, I'd probably be up around the 600 mark if I wanted, but mm. they never really interested me. As no. soon as I get past 60, 70, unless there's a really big break on, I'm not really bothered. I'd rather mm. just get on with the next frame. And uh, when they say I'm only knocking the 70s in, it, you know, they could well easily be hundreds, but just not really interested. I've never really been interested in them. Mm. Um, some people are, which is fine, but... I've never never been, so you never see me, you know, knocking in hundreds, two or three hundreds in a best of nine, because very rarely I'll be going for them. When you won that Welsh Open, did you think, oh, I've, I've arrived now, I've made it, or did you think, well, you know, it's only one tournament, I've got to go and try and win the next one and the next one? Well, I, I, just, I just thought, well, I couldn't believe it really, I mean, you know, it was the, I can't remember how old it was now, 20, 21 or something, mm, I, yeah. you know, I've been playing the Blackwood for a few years to qualify, eventually I got to the final, like I said, beat Parrot, and couldn't believe it really it was like only dreamed about uh, winning any tournament really so when it actually come true it was you know give me a, a lot of belief thinking well if I win one surely I can, I'm good enough to win another one uh, and, and that's the way, way I felt really even after winning it probably the day after you know I'd probably forgotten really I went back mm. and, and that was the end of it Well you did carry on winning in, in the next couple of years and it takes us to the, the Masters 1998 the Wembley Conference Centre, of course, has since been knocked down, but it was a huge uh, venue, raucous crowd in, in London, big tournament. You're nine each with Stephen Hendry on a respot. How are you feeling? Um, well, you, you said I can't swear, didn't you? So <laughs> yeah, I'd rather you didn't. I'll, I'll have to put it that um, I was bricking it. Yeah. There's, no, there's no doubt about it. When, once the respot uh, come and we tossed up, and then I had to play my first shot, like, honestly, it's probably the only time I've ever felt my knees shaking mm. on every shot. Only the respotted black really was just the tension was just well it was unbelievable. I mean I had a couple of dings at it I thought was in the double and it didn't go in and I made it more tense and nervous but it's without doubt probably the nervous I've ever been in mm. a soccer match. I was absolutely cacking it. <laughs> I was it was absolutely breaking it. And of course it was a fantastic win, fantastic finish. But you had to wait a bit to get the money because they sent the cheque to a different Mark Williams, some guy in London. Yeah, they uh, they sent. I think they sent about three or four of my cheques mm. to him, and uh, you know I used to fall up saying, "Where's the money?" And you know Wilson, we said, "Oh, you've sent it. You've had it in your bank." And like, no, it's not. <laughs> yes, it is. And I said, "No, it's not." Yeah, we've sent it weeks ago. I said, "Look, I haven't got it." And then I realised then they've sent it to a. A different Mark Williams. I think that's the, the reason he started putting my J in the yeah. in the middle. Yeah. But uh, I, I'm sure with the one check they put Mark J Williams and still send it to him. <laughs> so uh, 
He's, yeah, there's, there's a guy actually who's changed his name to Ronnie O'Sullivan for that very reason. But anyway, yeah. but anyway, you won the Masters. You, you went on. You won the UK Championship, and then 2000, you, you arrive at the World Championship. I guess as one of the favourites because you, you were in a lot of finals. You know, you had a great run. Yeah. You were winning tournaments. You always seemed to be in finals, semi-finals. Did can you remember thinking, you know, this is my championship, or, or was it just like another tournament? Um, well, I was just starting to get into a rhythm. Really, I was starting to win a lot of matches, uh, build up a lot of confidence, and. You know, I, you know. I suppose you could say there was, there was times that people would may have been one or two nil down before they actually got out there. Yeah. I was playing quite well some some of the times, and uh, the more matches you win, it just grows in confidence. And and uh, you know, I was just enjoying it. I was young, I was winning matches. Obviously, winning prize money as well. It was just. It was unbelievable, really. Mm. But you looked out, didn't you? Semi-finals against John Higgins, you were down 14-10, I think, going into the last mm. session, and he was, you know, obviously was expected to win because he was in front and he was a, he was a champion himself. What are your memories of that? I, I, it, it was an incredible final session. I think he won one frame. Yeah, well, I, to be honest, I, I can't remember much about it, but I remember John doing some kind of interview somewhere, and he said. He said I got into his head or something. I, I wouldn't shake his hand at the start, at the yeah, start like that, which yeah, yeah. I have no recollection of that yeah. whatsoever. Well, I think he said you you forgot. I mean, I don't think he was suggesting you know you did it deliberately. I just, I, and I just had yeah. no recollection. When I when I heard, I thought, well, I can't remember doing that. Mm-hmm. But obviously, if he if he thinks I did, obviously I've done it. But it was if I did, it was never to get into anyone's head. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know. if if it did get into his head the next time I'm there I'm not going to shake his hand again <laughs> just going to walk straight past him <laughs> Was it special to play Matthew in the final obviously you know you're sort of a fellow Welshman friend of yours was, it, was that sort of just an occasion um, Yeah it was obviously if I remember when we come in he was playing surely he was playing the, the Welsh National Anthem mm. sometimes we come in and there was Welsh flags flying and it was, it was just a brilliant occasion and you know it, it, it could have gone either way he took a massive lead on me mm. um, can't really remember much about pulling it back but uh, once they got right to the very end and all the pressure come on, I, I just seemed to free up and relax. And mm. I'm lucky, really. I've never been one to suffer with that many nerves, mm. uh, very rarely. And I, I can, you know, I used to be able to play quite good under pressure. Mm. But now you're world champion. What's that like in the sort of moments afterwards? Did it sink in immediately? Um, yeah, I, I was, you know, I was, I was world champion. I think went to the after party. And uh, I was there, I don't know, not long hour, the pint of milk went back to the hotel mm. and, and, and went home and I think it was a bit surreal to be honest and I didn't really celebrate probably till, uh, I don't know, maybe a week or two later mm. where I think they took me, I took the cup up then, down my local town and come, had a few drinks, a lot of drinks really, got <laughs> drunk, got drunk and never forget, woke up and lost the trophy, couldn't remember where, where I put it, nothing. Spanish, and uh, I, f- I think I phoned Will snuck it up. There was panicking. I phoned the, I think phoned the police station. Hey, <laughs> see if anything been handed in. Nothing. And uh, I'm just panicking all day, all day, thinking I'm gonna have to pay for this. And then my next door neighbour knocked my door uh, with the trophy, and I said, "Oh God, where did you get that from?" And he said, "I woke up for work at five o'clock in the morning. And it was just on the floor outside in the garden." <laughs> and he picked it up, put it in a car, took it to work with him. But uh, I wish he knocked me about half past six so I didn't have to panic. It should be said, this was the trophy that Joe Davis bought in 1927. It's not just any old trophy, this is the World Championship trophy. That was it, yeah. <laughs> so now you're the World Champion, of course, it means there's more sort of a call on your time, media suddenly want to talk to you and so on. How do you find that? Because, uh, as I said at the start, I don't think doing interviews is necessarily how you sort of enjoy spending your time. 
Um, no, I, I, to be honest, I don't really like doing any interviews, to be honest. I never really have. Um, and to be honest, I'm only doing this one because you, if it was half of the other ones, I would have told them <laughs> to bug it off. Because I'd rather just not do one, really, and just yeah. plod along. Because half, you know, half the ones I re- realised growing up that you can, you can do an interview with them, and you do it, and then when it comes out, it's totally nothing like what you've said to them. They, you just twist it all around, all of a sudden, you think they've done an interview for them, and all of a sudden, you read it and you look a bit stupid with the things you're saying, and you, you haven't said it like that, and so I just rather not do any, really. But, but also, you, you've never really sort of tried to project an image, have you? you? You are yourself, you're happy with yourself, you don't try and be anything else. No, no, I, I'm, I'm just, well, I think I'm just the same as I was when I was mm. 18, 19, I'm saying, no, I have a good laugh, I'm like taking a... Um, Mickey of the people, Mickey's the best word, like taking the Mickey of people, and you know, I love having the Mickey taken out myself mm. as well, whoever, you know, everyone has tried to take Mickey to me and wind me up and you, know, you can ask anyone, no one succeeded yet because mm. you can say whatever you want to me, it doesn't matter anything you want and it, it doesn't bother me, it goes right over the top, top of my head and I'll probably come back with something I'd do and you'll be the ones uh, biting in the end. Well you went on winning, you kept on winning tournaments and uh, the 2002-03 season you won the Triple Crown, you won the UK, the Masters, the World Championship, I mean it, it kind of doesn't get much better than that does it? Was it did, you, did you feel invincible? I mean, it was... um, Yeah probably, uh, I did honestly feel every time I was, I was going to play in at that time, uh, I, you know I just felt I was almost guaranteed to get to at least the semis, it was just a feeling I had and wherever I played it was just you know, big breaks everything, it was just... Uh, just in myself, thought well, I'm gonna get to the, you know, the semis or the final, probably Higgins or Sullivan, mm. and, and uh, you know that'd be the toughest game. And you know he was working like after a while. Uh, you know people talk about the, the triple crown, which is good, but they also miss. You know they don't count there, but I counted. So I had, uh, I think it was the Grand Prix trophy at the same time as well. So I had all the four yeah. BBCs, but because the one wasn't in the same year or. The, the I think it was the LG Cup, wasn't the it? LG Cup, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I think it was a Grand Prix. Yeah, the LG might have been the LG Cup. It's that, yeah, it's that event. Yeah. But I had that one as well, but no one seems to mention that because mm. it wasn't in the same calendar or whatever. But I actually you held the four of them at the same time. Four at the yeah. same time, yeah. yeah. But you know, it never gets mentioned, even not if it says on the same calendar you I still held the four at the mm. same time, which I'm not sure how many others have done that. Mm. I guess the problem, though, Mark, is that from that sort of position, the only way is down, isn't it? And, and you did have like a, a couple of little slumps, and at one point... So lost your top 16 place. What was that like, having been, as you say, regular in finals, winning trophies, and all of a sudden um, you're sort of going to, I think, Prestatic yeah, to qualify? Yeah, it was difficult. I went down to 47 in the world at one stage, and you know I was turning up I was turning up to tournaments, just couldn't pot a ball, really, and, you know, my, to be honest, my mind wasn't, my mind wasn't uh, totally on it, to be honest. I just left my manager, management company at the time. I won't even credit with naming them. And... Uh, you know, I, that's something I should have done 20 years ago. You know, I should never have, my own fault, I should never have been there. But, uh, you know, that was the main reason I dropped on the rankings and it took me a while to sort uh, a lot of stuff that was happening off the table, which I'm not going to go into now. I will do one, I will do one day when you want to write my book for me, you'll have a, okay. you'll have a field day. But you got my number. Yeah, yeah <laughs> but, uh, it's, I can't go into it now, but, you know, that was the reason my head was, you know, at my... My arse, you can put that in, and for a few years, and I, you know, I was losing. I just didn't really care because I had I had more more stuff to worry about off the table than, than actually playing. And you know, I'm still not like even now. 
I'm still not, you know, absolutely perfect, but I'm in a hell of a better position now than I was. Mm. Uh, so, and, and it's not it's improving because, you know, I'm practicing, my head's back on it more now, and uh, it's, it's getting a lot better. Mm. One thing you have always enjoyed is travelling. You know, some players get on a plane and they don't stop moaning until they get home again. But you, yeah. you always seem to, certainly in your earlier days, you always seem to just enjoy going away, took some mates with you, enjoyed yeah. it, and had a very good record <laughs> overseas, won a lot of tournaments. Yeah, well, I, you know, I, I laugh at people, you know, time they fly out, they can't wait to get back. Why go? What's the point going? You've got no chance. I mean, at the end of the day, I've just been one of the ones. If I'm going to China, could be there for 10 days. Oh, that, that's life. I'll see everyone else when I come home. You know, it's a, it's a job. But I do get a little bit now when I go out there after about five or six days. You know, I do think, like, because they, they have PTCs on the back of Thomas as well, and I, and I enter the PTCs and I sat there thinking, oh, I shouldn't have entered, I should have gone home. Uh, you know, it's getting a lot harder because I've got kids and everything yeah. now, but, you know, if I'm not going to go to a big tournament away and as soon as I arrive and look after the other players, oh, I can't wait to get home. I mean, you get home when you get home. I mean, if I lose, if I lose, the first thing I'll do is get home, you know, yeah. But I don't even think about coming home until I lose. Mm. Otherwise, there's no point going. You've lost before you start. Mm. Well, I think that's probably why I have got a good record overseas. I won a lot of tournaments. Do, uh, do, does losing hurt you, Mark? Because you've always seemed to me to take it sort of in your stride. I've never really seen Not you really. really upset, you know, really angry. Not really. Um, you know, I've always said the worst thing can happen is I lose. That's it. That is the, the worst thing that can happen. And I've always had that attitude. And... You, know, you can pick on, you can pick on your your hand, your one hand. Uh, the amount of times I've been really, uh, really upset about losing. Uh, nothing really comes to my mind. Really, the only one I can think of at this moment in time is when Ali Carter beat me nine eight. I think in the, I think it was the UK or something, and I was in and I had a massive kick on the last red to win nine eight. I missed it, and you know I was a bit cheesed off for that one, but very rare I get mm. down on myself. Not really, I mean, I mean, you can watch me play. If I win a close match or lose a close match, you see me walking off. You you'll never tell if I won or lost by seeing me walk out or talk to me unless you ask me the score because mm. I don't really show it that much. Mm. But after you won the, the the second world title, 2003, as I say, you were sort of you were very much the world number one lead, won everything. Did you, in your own mind, think, well, I'm going to carry on winning this and maybe get three or four? Or was, did you think of it like that? Uh, I think after the second one, I. I well, it's so easy to take your foot off the gas. You know, you're winning a lot of tournaments, and even when you're losing, you're still getting to quarter semis, finals, and stuff like that. And you know, I probably took my foot off the gas by not realising it. And you know, when when your form does start to slip, it's very difficult to stop yourself sliding down the rankings, which I found out a couple of times. I've gone, you know, down to twenty odd again, and it was hard to stop that slide. And you know, I know how to stop the slide, but it's, it's very difficult and to get yourself motivated to get back in a club, mm. practice as much as you need to to get back up the, the rankings. How, how far off now do you think you are? You're sort of you're the best game that you were at maybe ten years ago. Oh, no win here. Mm. Yeah, I can't even can't even compare it to be honest. Uh, you know, I I can I've accepted now I can go out there and I can I can miss or oh, absolutely anything. Some of the easiest balls, you know, a, a local club player. Couldn't miss down a club. I, I can miss it, and I've accepted that now. And, and when I do miss them, as a few years ago, I was get, I was getting annoyed and frustrated. But now, it, it don't even bother me anymore. I'll go back to my chair, sit down, and think. Well, 
I knew I was going to miss something easy sooner or later and just and it's gone again which used to happen years ago 10 years ago if I miss something easy be forgotten about and it's happening now I, I just totally uh, not worry about it anymore and, and honestly God, I go out there and if I win brilliant if I get beat I can honestly save my hand and my heart I do not give a monkeys ok people like me always compare your career to Ronnie O'Sullivan and John Higgins because obviously you all came up together the same age turned pro at the same time uh, do you compare yourself to other players do you think oh he's you know he's won this amount I've won this amount or is it just you're happy with what you've done in your own sort of career um, yeah if, if I was to look back on it I'd be more than happy with what I'd done you know I mean uh, there's no getting away from it I think if I won about the same time or bumped into O'Sullivan as many times as I did I think I probably would have won at least another two world titles and you know, obviously a few other tournaments as well along the way. Um, but you know, I, I've come through uh, in an era which, which I probably think is two of the best players there ever to play. And you know, you're never going to get anyone better than North Sullivan. And I mean, you can't compare the the standard at the top now to what it was back then with them mm. two playing. And obviously, you had Endry as well with Steve Lee. Had so many Paul and Matthew Stevens, but. Uh, I mean, the top four back end was, I think, me, Hendry, Higgins and O'Sullivan. And, you know, they were hard three to try and nick tournaments off. So I nicked a few tournaments, you know, while they were still all there playing mm. at their best. Maybe Hendry just gone past there, but O'Sullivan and Higgins, you, they're unbelievable. I mean, he's still two of the best players in the world now, and they, mm. they're bloody 40. Mm. And uh, people, would, I think, would be interested, you know, are you friends, the three of you? Because you always sort of bracketed together. But, I mean, at um, the end of the day, you're still rivals on the table, aren't you? Yeah, I mean... Friends is in like not really, mm. you know. I mean, I speak to, uh, uh, you know, I I grew up with John, uh, and stuff like that. You know, there's Ronnie that I got every credit for him, and and so obviously he's a on the table. He's unbelievable. But would I go for a drink with him off the table? Would I hell? <laughs> but one man you are friends with is Stephen Hendry, of course. And I mean, he throughout his career he sort of kept himself to himself didn't he but I think you in a way brought him brought him out of his shell a bit because you, you were his, or still are his good friend yeah he's, I, he's probably the the one I uh, was always because we was managed for the same company and we was always flying together and and uh, I don't know why we just get on really we mm. was just you know he likes a good wind up and a good laugh you know he, he may come across as a bit miserable and which he is probably miserable, really. He's just, <laughs> I can make him smile now and again, you know, but uh, he is quite a miserable kid. But uh, we've always had a good laugh, and, uh, you know, he normally tries to keep himself to himself, really, at tournaments. Um, but, uh, you know, every time I see him, uh, you know, I won't let him have any peace to himself. I'll go over there and straight, get straight on him, wind him up about something, no matter what it is. Mm. And we've just always gone on. But now, of course, you have Twitter as well because you, how you yeah. are on Twitter is how you've been on the circuit the last twenty years. Basically, <laughs> is the, sort of the constant joking around. I mean, you obviously enjoy your time on on there. Yeah, I love it, but it's getting me into trouble. <laughs> I mean, you know, I've, uh, I've I've said a couple of things on there which I don't think was as bad as people made out, and got heavily fined for it. Uh, I've got a, a few letters warning saying I can't do this, I can't say that, I can't say that, but. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty much. What you get on Twitter is pretty pretty much how I am. Yeah. As far as I can be, uh, going by the guidelines of World Snooker. Really, mm. I mean, uh, if if the only thing I, I don't put on it, I'm not up to swear and stuff like that, and maybe a bit, a bit controversial and stuff like that. But most of it's 
you, you see me on there is, is what I am in real life, really. Yeah. Which is what they say they want. They say they want the players to reject the personalities. But do you, do you, do you regret what you said about the Crucible that time? Um, yeah, I, re- I only regret it because it cost me four grand. <laughs> I mean, obviously, if I'd known it was going to cause that much of a stir, I would, I would never have said it, obviously. Yeah. But, you know, I, I never said it uh, being derogatory to the Crucible or anything mm-hmm. like that. You know, it just... I said it's sort of a bit of a laugh, really, mm-hmm. and, a, and a joke. But obviously, I found out it, it wasn't a laugh or joke. And four grand later, I'm thinking, why did I say that for? But, you know, I... Do you think I, d- I said something worth a four grand fine in it? Come on. I don't think it was worth f- four thousand. I think the problem is everyone's sense of humour is different, isn't it? And some people would have seen it for what it was. It, it's just Mark being Mark. Other people think, oh, you know, it's the Crucible. You can't, you can't say that. Um, you, did, you didn't actually swear. You actually, we, we won't say what you what you saw. Yeah, yeah. But, the, but there were some asterisks in there. I think, I think it was possibly the timing that, that counted against you because it was right oh, before really? the World Championship. Was um, it the day before? Yeah. Well, yeah, the day before. But. Uh, but you're, you're you're there to stay on Twitter, are you? You're not you're not sort of you haven't considered sort of backing away from it. No, it? no. no I, I mean, like I said, after, since that one, that's the only time I've really got into trouble, and I've been uh, you know quite careful on it. I'm still, you know, everyone who tweets me or or whatever, I, I do get some idiots on their mind, which uh, which I love. Really, they come on and abuse <laughs> me, saying this, that, and the other, swearing, and you know, give me 15 minutes back and I'm abuse them, and they they delete their account then, and they're the ones trying to wind me up. And I end up making them delete their account or blocking me, which I find that brilliant. You know, they come on trying to have a go at me, mm. I go back and then they block me. Great. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're 40 now, Mark. You're the world seniors champion, as, as we record this. What, you know, your career's not over. You're in the, still in the top 16, you're still competing. But do you have sort of future ambitions in terms of what you want to still want to achieve? Um, I'd, obviously, I'd, I'd love to win another world title. Realistically, it's, it's not going to happen, but that would be... My, my one one dream. I mean, if I can win any other tournament now, ranking tournament, it'd be, you know, a bonus for me really. Mm. Uh, I've still got the game to do some damage and beat, you know, good runs and beat anyone really. I'm still good enough to beat anyone, but I'm not consistent enough as I used to be. And you know, my long game is quite poor to be honest. But you know, I still got the determination and I try 100% wherever I play. And uh, you know, I'll keep, I'll keep going. It's. Uh, it's a bit unfair calling me the world seniors champion, really. I wasn't even old enough to be in it. No, but you did win it. Well, <laughs> in fairness. Yeah, but look who I had to beat. You know what I mean? John Parrott. I mean, he is old, isn't he? He is a senior. <laughs> well, you're, at least you're out now old enough to defend it. You're now yeah, 14, no. so. I might not even bother to turn up this year. <laughs> but it was still nice to win. It was still nice to go there and, uh, you know, see people like Joe Johnson and Dennis Taylor come out in his Zimmer frames and. <laughs> Hit about 300 cushions per frame, no balls going anywhere near the pocket. I mean, I used to watch it before I was in it, and I used to just look at it and go, you know, some of these commentators just slag us off, and look at these playing by hitting so many cushions. I'd love to be commentating on... You know, if Joe Johnson playing Dennis Taylor, I'd love to commentate on that and get my revenge. I was going to ask you, actually, I mean, commentary, you know, a lot of ex-world champions do end up doing it. Is that something you think you'd like to do? Uh, I don't think so. I mean... Once I do, I think once I do finish, finish playing. I, my person is I don't want nothing to do with the game whatsoever. Uh-huh. I just want to finish, go away, and, and you'll never see me again. Mm-hmm. You, know, I won't, I won't turn up to any terms. That's it. That'll be it. Whether or not that'll happen, I don't know. To be honest, mm-hmm. um, commentary. It's a tough one because if I did try it for a couple of days, or if I don't know, just say they want me to do the Welsh Open for a week or something like that. Um, 
it'd be very hard because I wouldn't want to, you know, all joking aside, I wouldn't want to end up sounding like sounding like people like Joe Johnson and Mike Allen who who played a game when I stand in themselves and, and I'm watching and I swear they accommodate on a different table to what I'm watching sometimes and I just think, what are they on about? And if I'd done that, I wouldn't want to go down the road of, of coming across like not knowing what I'm talking about, you know. I mean, Stephen Hendry's gone here and like a duck to water. He's been unbelievable. Just There's no stories with him. He just says what he what he sees. And, and there was a breath of fresh air the other day when I heard, I was listening to Ronnie and John Higgins on Eurosport. Mm. In, I think it was the UK, was it? Yeah. And it was, it was so refreshing to watch them. And, you know, Ronnie, he was quite blunt at times, but some of the stuff he was saying was, was really good and you've got to take note when he's saying because he's done everything and he's still playing well he's still the best player in the world so it was it was totally different listening to them and uh, you know, I really enjoyed it I think sat on the sofa while he was doing it's a lot easier I think than actually being in the commentary box OK so just to, to wrap up then I mean you, you seem very content Mark still within yourself when you look back in your career you must be more than satisfied with what you've achieved oh yeah without doubt I mean I've never I would have thought I would have done not even a third of what, what I have achieved and you know if I look back on it whatever I Thomas I have won whatever I've done I you know in my opinion I've probably done it to, of uh, the best standard around at the yeah. top you know ever and you know that, that gives me you know, good good satisfaction that I've achieved something uh, we're probably two of the best or well, three of the best players ever to live mm. Excellent well thanks a lot for doing this and I think the good news is there won't be any fines I think we got through it without any fines so, so. I, I can make up yeah, no, I'm going pre- I'm, I'm to press stop I want to say thanks to Mark for his company and thanks to everyone for listening cheers Sports Social Podcast Network It is Ryan here and I have a question for you what do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.